This is your host, Christopher, with Radio the Fire Radio. I have a very, very special guest that I'm going to be bringing on. Her name is Michaela Cox. She has a wonderful perspective on life. And I'm going to talk to her a little bit about grief and how she dealt with the loss of her second husband. And you think you're going to love this story. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, two parents, steady, you know, good family background. Um, I've been around it my whole life. You know, I don't know where you're located at, but I'm in the Bible Belt, so you're pretty much, you know, in it your whole life. You, you know, your mom's pregnant in the pew, and you're in it. <laughs> you know, you know it. Yet, you know I mean? so, Sunday morning, Sunday night, you know, Wednesday night, the whole deal. VBS, I mean, in youth group, I did it all. So, um, and then not only that, most of my uh, education prior to college, except for three years, was in private Christian school. So I got it Monday through Friday and on Sundays. So, wow. Bible class every day of the week at most private Christian schools, that's what they do. And then um, usually, depending on what age they are and, and, and you're at, because the one I went to in Louisiana, which is where I live, is um, K through 12. And depending on the ages of the kids, you may do chapel once or twice a week. So, you know, I was, <laughs> I was, okay. but, um, had it all over, which is good. Um, and I made the personal decision, um, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior when I was five and a half. So going on. Wow. So years. young. Yeah. So I, more of my life than not, let's put it that way. And who really remembers much of their life before they're five anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't, so, nope. yeah. but uh, my story starts before that um, uh, in my I'm journey a of how to go from much tribulation to thriving in all things. And the reason why it's called 38 triple D is there's three major things that have been in my life. Um, first was the lifelong disability of legal blindness. And there's a story behind that, which I'll start with that in a second. A divorce at 26, and then um, by age 38, not as young as some, but definitely not the oldest either, I um, would lose the love of my life and the father to my two children unexpectedly. So death of beloved uh, husband at 38. So three major Ds in life by the age 38, hence 38 triple D. Wow. Um, the disability being the first one, um, I was born, I'm going to show my age here, I'll be 43 in November, I was born in 1978 in Houston, Texas, which is where I'm originally from and what I claim, but I was originally born totally blind, like complete darkness, nothing, and then in my wow. family, for our background of Christian faith, um, we believe that the God decided to do a miracle in my life and grant me my sight, so I do see it's just impaired and eventually legally blind, but there has not been a breath or a day that I've lived on this earth. Once, excuse me, I came into the world where I did not have visual issues. I've never known any different and I will always have visual issues. It's permanent, mm. not going anywhere. Did you, um, do you see that as a contributing factor to you uh, have an early salvation experience or was that more geographical because you said you were in the Bible Belt? <laughs> Probably both, truth be told. I believe I would have come to it at some point, but I do think just always being around it has a lot to do with it, you know, but I did of my own accord, so it was my choice. What's your, your faith background? Is it uh, 
Baptist. Southern Baptist, but then Southern I also, I've done non-denominational in Bible church before, but my roots are Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist, okay. And truth be told, in my experience, there's not a lot of difference between Southern Baptist and non-denominational in Bible church anyway. No. So I've, I've, I've found that 95% of everything that all the denominations believe is the same. They just get mad about one thing and fight over it. <laughs> No, I mean, quite honestly, if you really want to boil it down to it, if you want to take it back to what it really is all about, as long as you hold to the Christian creed, the rest is gravy. Yep. <laughs> I mean, split hairs. That's the truth. Yeah, they spend too much time getting mad about, you know, you should you should anoint with oil or you should anoint with butter or you should anoint with... I know. It's like, come on. I mean, we were asked to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing else. So the rest yeah. of the world Do you fall into the category where you would say you fit into Generation X or the Y? Actually, it depends on how you break it down because um, I'm going to get into academia here a little bit. And my undergraduate was in sociology. There's, from my experience, there tends to be discrepancy in people who break down the how you classify a time period for being a certain generation, there seems to be discrepancy yeah. as to the time period of which each one constitutes. It's like you have the baby boomers, right? Yeah. You have the generation and then you have the baby boomers on that. But then you have like the, the yuppies or whatever the heck they call them. But then within that, which technically, depending on what part they were born in, they could be a baby boomer. But it's like, it's almost like some people feel like you have this huge broad gap of one generation but then other people feel like you have one generation with like a sub-generation of that one before you get to the next one. So it really depends on your perspective on how to break down the timetable for a generation. But uh, as far as I know of the usual agreed upon breakdown is the uh, baby boomers ended in 64 and that meant 65 to 78 or 79, or I don't know, maybe it's to 83 yeah. uh, is a, uh, X Gen X, which is what I am because I was born in 78. So yeah. unless I'm misconstruing the breakdown of the timetable of it, I should be considered uh, Gen X. Yeah, I, I, I think you fit with that with, with your age and um, some of the mannerisms. And the reason why I'm asking is that the uh, sometimes they, some of the things, I forgot about your background in sociology, the uh, Generation X has been portrayed as the lost generation. And one of the things I remember seeing in your book, uh, We the People, you were talking about how the, our generation was, was aborted, you know, starting in 1973. Well, and, it was the first, I'm not saying all of us, because we're, some of us are alive. Yeah, here, yeah. but, <laughs> I mean, from a time period in American politics and American culture and American social policy it was the first starting in uh officially june 22nd no no i mean january i mean i'm thinking about june Janu excuse me i'm thinking about june coming up ready to be on the beach the actual <laughs> january 22nd sorry i'm thinking about june but it was january 22nd of 73 when it became law of the land that allowed that to be legal in our country now depending on what state you were and what time period you're in, there were some variances to how you could do it. But the fact of the matter is it was the law of the land via the Supreme Court, right. the, the landmark case of Roe versus Wade. So from that time on for almost what, 50 years going on, 
we just hit 48, I think. 48, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was born in 73 myself. Yeah, so I'm not known for my math. I miss liberal arts. But if I'm tracking it right, 48 years (laughs) going on half a century of that being allowed in this country. So you have probably now two or three generations, but it started with the Gen Xers. Had they wanted to, they could have wiped out a whole generation because it was legal. Yeah. And I would say I, because of my start in life already being, I don't want to say at a disadvantage because I don't feel like I was put in a position of disadvantage, but having a disability does put you at a disadvantage for that standpoint compared to others and always having something to overcome and challenges and difficulties from day one and always being in it because it's all I've ever known. There's never been not. So there was always something I was contending with or trying to get around or figure out or overcome or, you know, whatever that I had to, and I became aware of that at a young age, being it my whole life and learning how to deal with it and and still find my way through this life. I mean, you have to think about it. For most people in our world, we take in everything we take in 90% through our our vision. It's our main, arguably our main primary sense. And when that's jacked up, you have to adapt to a very extremely visual world and find other ways of taking in everything, not necessarily through your eyes. So when you're in a world that that's how it operates, then you're basically finding a way around everything. So that's a big disadvantage to have to get over. Yeah. And especially at a young age. I didn't know of any people with disabilities most of my life until I was getting closer to high school. Okay. Now, I knew the story of Helen Keller, but that's just from reading and being educated, you know. So I found that interesting. And I knew about, from my music background, I knew about Ray Charles and, you know, Stevie Wonder. You know, I'm probably showing my age, but I found that inspiring. <laughs> but I, I like classic rock and contemporary Christian. You walk in my house and you just about bet that's one of the two things that are going to be on unless I'm listening to Hamilton, the musical, but (laughs) but anyway, so I didn't, I didn't really know a lot of disabled people till later on. Mm. So it was really just my, what my doctor said and what the schools had to do and what my parents had to advocate for. You know, I, I was that kid that was always on the front row. I was always that kid that I don't know what they're calling them these days because I've been out of the school system for a while. Um, individual education plans, IEP. Yeah, IEP. Yeah, I think they're called something different now, 504. I don't even know. It depends on where you're at. I don't want to misquote it. But um, when I was growing up, there were IEPs. And I always had one. My parents always had meetings with teachers. And there was always accommodations. I had equipment. I was always trying to, we were always trying to create better ways of doing things to get around it to help me excel, despite what the doctors thought I might be able to do or not do. And I was raised, um, you have to realize in 78, not that it was the dark ages for medicine and not that we have all the answers now, but we're way further than what we were, you know, back in 78. And there was no family history of my condition and foundation medically for, I mean, not that medicine's everything, but there was nothing from a research method standpoint or quantitative or qualitative analysis or medical history or anything to give them any indication to figure out why is this happening? Why was she born blind? And why is she seeing when she's not supposed to be? And there was nothing to refer back to like, oh, maybe we can solve, you know, whatever. So they, and it's not very common, the root cause of my uh, vision issues, which is basically optic nerve atrophy, A-T-R-O-P-H-Y. 
Um, in English, I'm not a doctor, but in layman's terms, it basically means you're out there <laughs> totally shot to crap, totally jacked. Um, if you've ever been in an eye doctor's office or like in an anatomy and physiology course, maybe in high school or biology in college or whatever, and you've seen a picture of the optic nerve, it basically boils down to a normal, regular, completely correctly functioning optic nerve is a certain shape and is usually purple. Mine is the exact opposite shape not what it's supposed to be and it's the color of a vanilla folder it was so light when i was a child my original pediatrician and first specialist in houston but i didn't have <coughs> them. i couldn't find them they were so pale wow they're totally jacked um and you add on top of that nearsightedness peripheral vision not very good depth perception not very good astigmatism and astigmatism makes it really complicated really quick so mm. it's not cut and dry but i do see I don't drive. That's not a good idea to mix legal blindness and driving. Not good. <laughs> we'll stay away from that for my sake and everybody else's on the road. I don't really appreciate that. Would, would you get an automated car if they, if they uh, no. got them working them. like they're supposed to? I don't trust them. No. <laughs> because a machine thinks they're smarter than us. And my mind, even though I'm visually impaired, will always be able to think better and see, notice and observe, you know, logically than a computer right. and, and a computer can malfunction. I don't trust them. Right. So it would make my life a lot easier. I promise you that, but it's not worth it to me. No. Um, so my parents, the attitude, despite what the doctor said, well, let's just see what she can do and let her do her best and teach her not to give up and not quit and not stop. And that's basically what I did. And a parent stable household, very present. They're still, they're going on their 47th, wedding anniversary in November and wow almost half a century including dating so you know. wow nope, I'm the one and only the medical field did a really good job of scaring the crap out of them oh wow no way of knowing if it was genetic or not they waited wow. three years before they made a final decision but they decided not to right right I'm the one and only <laughs> oh. and it's not genetic because my kids don't have it so but anyway, I've always taken the position of basically you're going to tell me no, then I'm going to do it just to prove you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard you say that in one of the interviews that I listened to. <laughs> and, the more adult and you were adamant. Yeah. And the more adult version of it is, you know what? Why don't you hold my beer and sit back and watch? <laughs> nice day. Undergraduate, I did a BA in sociology with a double minor in English and history. No, I cannot do one thing. My master's, um, as I got when I did it and got finished it in 2016 while living in New Hampshire, was a MA in political science in American government with a graduate certificate in ancient classical history. So let's go with the sociology. What what drove you to sociology? Um, actually, truth be told. I always liked it, but I actually switched majors in college to get out of foreign language and ended up loving it. So anyway, oh. because it went back to the visual thing at that time, according to the ADA for uh, that was the piece of legislation, the American Disabilities Act um, done in 1990 on the books, been on the books for 31 years, if I'm tracking that right. Uh, yeah, 31 years. Um, it's really the only substantial legislation our country has for the disabled population and demographic of our country. Um, they required certain things of education and they got the ball rolling back in 90, but it needs to be revamped and updated and, and whatnot. And I'm not in policy, but I could see where there needs to be room for improvement, but that's neither here or there. 
and that's a whole other conversation too. But um, so at the time, the rule was the university had to provi uh, provide scribes if you needed a class, and they were willing to do that. But unfortunately, there was no scribe available for the time period in which I took my course. So I was oh, wow. for three weeks in French because I had no one to take notes for me, and I couldn't see the dang chalkboard. And we know how foreign languages generally taught. You write everything out on a chalkboard. And yep. so I had a very nice, not a very interesting man that was dean of liberal arts that did a really good job of pissing everybody off. And I'm trying to be couth. Um, <laughs> so I went to the person that I knew who was my mom's advisor, who ended up being my advisor. And he said, just come over to sociology. You'll love it. The advantage of sociology, because it's the only liberal arts my, uh, major at the university I went to where you get to choose either nine hours of foreign language or nine hours of cultural studies. I said, screw this. I'm going sociology and minor in English and history. Hmm. So, so I did fix a situation that was not cooperating according to the needs of my accommodations for my disability, actually. But that, and I loved it. So it was, it was yeah. and, and that kind of goes with your, your, your attitude and your mindset that you're just going to go around it. You know, you're yeah. not going to let it stop you. Nope. Um, can you think of a high school teacher that inspired you? I had four. Four that really that really stuck with you? Yeah, and I still stay in touch with most of them. Um, there was Becky Harrod. She was my English teacher in eighth and ninth grade. Um, there was Pat Turner, who was my speech coach. Liz Stevens didn't necessarily teach at my high school, but we had similar experiences, and she was a mom of one of the kids in my class, and Jean George, um, kind of helped out in a resource room and wow. I was just for extra, you know, study time to catch up because I, the other caveat to the disability of the optic nerve being screwed up is basically what it means is the bloodstream doesn't flow through the optic nerve the way it's supposed to. So therefore it can't perceive the sick. And so therefore the signals don't get sent to the brain as quickly to tell your brain to interpret what you're supposed to be visually taking in. So everything's like slowed down and it takes me 10 times longer to do everything. So, you know, I just, I have to do a really lot of work, extra work just to do the basics. And so I, that's why a lot of times I had extended time or uh, other accommodations so that people could do it for me, not because I intellectually couldn't handle it. It's just the rapid speed of which it takes me to do it. And when it's required that you have a paper due on this day by such and such and anyway, on and on it goes. So, mm. College, college professor that uh, stands out. Gary Stokely, my advisor, I still talk to him. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think everybody can can look back and see someone that either either went the extra mile for them or just kind of inspired them, to, you know, to, to step out into their field. So political science and American government. Yep. Okay. Why? Why? I love it. <laughs> One of those weird ones that love it. And it's not so much that I love the... So did you get into the debating part of it? Is that Oh, I'll debate anyone. <laughs> spurred you on? <laughs> My dad told me a kid I'd, I'd argue with a fence post. But anyway, I don't know if that's... <laughs> whatever, call it what you want. But um, it's not so much that I like the politics. I mean, I do enjoy a good debate. I won't lie, but um, I could care two craps less what DC does. I want to stay out of the swamp, but <laughs> it's more of, for me, I have a love of this country. I have a love of what this country is supposed to be about. I have a love and a passion for 
knowing what it's supposed to be about. And I think it's very important um, that we as Americans and patriots, as we the people individually and collectively, understand what that is and know it and respect it and honor it and know the rules because the soon as we don't do that, then we don't even know what we've got to be preserving. And so we have to know <laughs> the rules of this country in order for it to work well and play by them or else change them. It's like any sporting event, whether it be basketball, hockey, baseball, uh, soccer, American football, whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving something out. Rugby, uh, baseball, whatever. <laughs> um, the list goes on. Golf, tennis, whatever, volleyball. You're not getting on that field. You're not getting on that course. You're not getting on that court, whatever, to play the game if you don't know how to play it. They're not going to let you play if you don't know the rules. So or you can at least expect not to play it well and successfully if you don't know how to play by the rules. And I don't even really care if whoever is reading the rules of our country, if they like them or don't. But the fact of the matter is until they're changed correctly through the channels of the amendment process, then the rules. That's right. Be followed. Now, if so, you want to go change them, go change them. But they need to be followed and they need to be understood, at least so that we can try and know what we're supposed to be working with. That's right. So so where, looking back in your in your history, do you do you feel like you got your love for this country from? Did you my is parents, it direct my, mother, my parents, but my mother was always involved in politics. Like she's always followed them. I mean, I grew up with her watching C SPAN and Crossfire and Capital Gain and Face the Nation and <laughs> in the 80s, she had to watch daily the Iran-Contra with Oliver North. And then when Clarence Thomas was being confirmed, she watched those. And, you know, I, gr I grew up around it as far as her being very involved and passionate about it. So, um, this, Was she in the military or anything? Or she just had a love for it? From, from she just her? had a love for it. No, we do have military in our family. As a matter of fact, my husband that passed away was military. Oh, and then uh. my father's father served and my mom's father served and then um, my husband's family had a lot of the, heck they practically bleed green for all intents and purposes but anyway <laughs> yeah well i mean personally if you were to go look at my registration i'm registered as a republican but first and foremost i'm conservative and i am a constitutionalist because that's where it all starts that is the document that decides everything in our country and that's right that then what are the what the crap are we doing that's right so i'm always going to be a constitution first and foremost and anything we do in this country needs to be taken back to that doc document now yes technically am i republican yes am i conservative absolutely but first and foremost constitutionalist and there's a reason why not only are we we the people but that was the very first three words of the constitution that is the whole entire point of this country in and of itself in a nutshell and if people don't understand that I don't know what to tell you. And I'm not interested because that's the whole point right there. We the people. Our and education system right now, do you think that our, our new students are getting the same education that we had when we went through school? Nope. They're not informed. They would rather just listen to whatever propaganda or agenda pushed through whatever media outlet that doesn't know what the heck they're doing. And it's just to serve the narrative of whoever's doing it. And it's not even, no one researches it for the ones that just want to be fed uh, information. And that's what a lot of the education system is just regurgitation. I, I'm amazed at how much the, uh, if something comes across on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, 
they are so parallel to each other in, in how they're reported. And even though like Fox News says it's conservative, if you listen to what Fox News says, it's They're getting less, less conservative. People are getting annoyed with them. I, yeah. Some people are still conservative. Like I pretty much, if I was to sit and watch Fox, which depending on what's going on, I do during the major stuff, like when Kavanaugh's hearings are going on in the presidential election of 2020 and 2016 or whatever. But um, I think um, some of them are still conservative. I think some of them are not, depending on when you're listening. I generally enjoy, if I was to sit there and watch it throughout the day, it would be Fox and Friends in the Morning. It would be The Five, because like I said, I like panel discussion. I like debate. Um, and then I do think the ones that I've been hearing about that have been on of late with Tar uh, Tucker Carlson and yeah. Ingram, of course, and Sean Hannity and yeah. Laura Ingram. And then I heard recently that I think Trey Gowdy's got his, and I think that would be phenomenal. So I think those are pretty still on that side, and I think those are trustworthy. But just the various, you know, throughout the day, um, Dana Perino, um, throughout the day necessarily, you may not have as conservative as it may have once been, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So let's talk about some rhinos. <laughs> Republicans and name only. Name only. Yeah, exactly. Um, I used to like, you brought up the name Trey Gowdy. I used to like him. I was I was watching some of the C-SPAN hearings. I would listen to some of his commentations that he had out there. But now we, we enter the time zone and time period of President Trump, and it seemed like he didn't want anything to do with President Trump. Well, I don't with know about Trey Gowdy per se on that, but I do know within the <laughs> RNC – especially during the 2000 election cycle, there was a lot of what's called never Trumpers. Yeah. And quite honestly, Republican Democrat, I, both of the political parties are really pissing me off good because there was evidence on both sides in 2016 that neither one of them were following the will of their party members of the American people of the preach preach. And, uh, so as much as I was not for Bernie Sanders or, or Hillary Clinton or whatever on the Democratic side, because I, I have very openly said I'm Republican and I'm conservative, but my first and foremost concern is the will of the people because it's our country, not theirs. Yeah. And I don't care what side you're on. If you're not abiding with the will of the people, we got a problem Yeah. and it needs to be handled. And I thought, both of the parties um, during the 2016 election were not handling that well and were not listening to the voices of their no. perspective, party members' voices that were being echoed during that time. And then never mind 2020 election, which was a total debacle, worse than 20, uh, 2000. Uh, I do believe it was stolen, and I believe there was substantial evidence to back that up, and I'm not Absolutely. Some conspiracist uh, Republican. No, and, and it's coming like, out now. Yeah, Arizona's I, coming out. Um, Georgia's like coming judicial, out. The judicial branch let we the people down. down. Yes, they did not take up what was brought to them, and they just said, "We're not getting involved. We don't want to touch this." Yep. And they could have stopped it in its tracks, and they did not. Yep. The judicial branch failed the American people during the 2020 yep. election. Yes. And you can't convince me otherwise. Sorry. Yes, they did. And it, it, going back to what you were saying about both sides, the, the Republican senators who backed down on January 6th are, yep. are equally responsible because there was no reason for them to back down. 
and exactly. to to turn tail and start running, the, the electoral college should not have been certified. Exactly. That's us. I would not have certified that vote till it had been all recourse had been done and the courts had taken a good look at it and they didn't even take a good look at it. They didn't even they didn't even let the cases be heard. Nope. And never mind that when the states when there was an uprising amongst we the people in certain states to say we want this address, they said no. Yep. They did not hear we the people at all during that election cycle. No. Means we the people were not allowed to speak, we're not allowed to be heard, we're not allowed to be taken in consideration, and we're not done anything about. And so our votes did not count in that election, and they were stolen. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree 100%. And, and it's not even about whether I like Trump or not, which actually I do. I voted for him twice. I have no shame in it. But the way it was handled and the way that they dealt with we the people is everything that is wrong and yes. incorrect and unconstitutional and un-American and had nothing to do with the way this country should have yes. been around. In, that is uh, my bigger issue with it. I wouldn't have cared who it was. If that was being disregarded, then we have a problem. That's right. At 100%. <laughs> Same page. <laughs> I knew I was going to like you. <laughs> You're getting me into my soapbox, okay? I can go all night about this stuff. All night. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been Christopher at Radio Fire Radio. Um, that was Michaela Cox, Sharon. We are committed to excellence and truth. We're committed to bringing the whole gospel to you as we go forth in this endeavor in this hour. We pray that God would be with you. His prophetic mantle and his prophetic anointing would be upon your life. Please feel free to contact us at any time with questions, comments, or concerns. You can reach us at Christopher at RadiantFire.org. Like us on Facebook, Radiant Fire Radio Ministries. And you can subscribe to our YouTube page, Radiant Fire Radio Ministries, on YouTube.